brilliant. Do uh, keep that open. And as ever, there's a handout um, if you want to um, see where we're going or if you want to take some notes, and that'll serve you well. Let me pray as we come to, again, this great passage. Father, we come to this, your words, your, your spirit breathed word. And as we do that, we ask for your spirit's help in us to understand this word. Please would you help us to see more clearly your saving work in your people. And would you show us the, the significance of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you are a Christian, so if you are somebody who is trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for a right relationship with the Lord God, if you are a Christian, why are you a Christian? Why do you spend the first 20 minutes of your day reading your Bible and praying when your family just thinks you're talking to the ceiling? Why do you bother coming to church week after week where most of your friends are enjoying a lovely lie-in, maybe a very casual and relaxed brunch? Why do you continue serving sacrificially when it means that you have zero me time? Why do you continue to try and speak of Jesus in your workplace when uh, your colleagues just aren't interested and indeed it now looks like they're beginning to get really annoyed with you for doing so? Why do you strive to live in a way that pleases the Lord Jesus in your life when it is so hard? If you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? Well, the answer we're going to see from today's passage is because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God, one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in these wonderful words of today, we're again going to see the Spirit's work in Christians. Because last week, um, and that's why I had last week's passage read again, because this flows on. Last week we saw Paul explaining the difference between those who aren't Christians and those who are. And do you remember we kind of had this, this diagram and we looked through and we saw that most fundamentally the difference between someone who is not a Christian and someone who is a Christian is a, a difference in nature. Uh, and the person who isn't a Christian is uh, Paul described as according to the flesh. Whereas the Christian is according to the spirit. So that fundamental difference, core difference at who you are. And then who you are is worked out in this mindset. And so those who's, who are according to the flesh in the flesh, well, they set their minds on things of the flesh. Immediate things. Uh, me things. Self things while those who are in the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And we saw actually where that leads. Well, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Well, that leads to death. Whereas those who are of the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit leads to life and peace. Uh, and then Paul just focused on the flesh. We said, well, look, why is this the case? Why, if you set your minds on things of the flesh, Will it lead to death? Well, because ultimately, those who are in the flesh are hostile to God, rebellious against him, and are unable even to please him. 
And now today we pick up again on this, this other side, on the spirit side. And we see what it means to be according to the Spirit. And this week again and next, we see the significance of the Spirit's work. And so our first overwhelming point for today is, well, if the Spirit dwells in you. If the Spirit dwells in you. So in verse 7 and verse 8, Paul has just been describing the danger for those who are in, who are in the flesh. But Paul is quick to reassure the Romans. As you see verse 9, you, however, you Roman church, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now the next word we see is an if. And when we see the word if, then maybe we start thinking, oh, oh okay, maybe they're not. That's not really what Paul is trying to do. Paul is not trying to cause them to doubt. He's trying to clarify who these things are true for. He says, look, you're not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit if, he goes on, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul says, look, for you Romans and for all for whom this is true, for everyone who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, you're no longer in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. And this is the first of five times Four explicit, one implied. Five times when in these three verses when Paul speaks about um, having the Spirit dwelling in you. Let me just quickly show you them. So firstly in verse 9, first off, uh, you're not in the fl flesh but in, in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's the first one, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, and then the, the next one is in the next half of verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ. Another way of saying the same thing. Then in verse 10, we see again, uh, I'll explain this a bit, but Christ is in you. Verse 11, twice, dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in you. So Paul is saying that the key difference between those who are according to the, the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit, those who are not Christians, those who are, is that Christians have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. That's what it means at its heart. And the word dwells there is the word for inhabiting a house, making a home in. The Holy Spirit has made his home in you. So if you were to, to buy a flat or a house, well, when, when, that, when that has come to completion, you pay the money. That now belongs to you. That, that flat, that house now belongs to you. The old people, they move out and you move in. And you take control. You start living your life there. And now over time, you make it more and more your own. But immediately when you've bought it, it is yours. And that's, I think, a helpful picture here of what happens at the moment of conversion. The Holy Spirit moves in. He inhabits your soul. He, he dwells there. He makes his home there. Now the process of making you more, making you more and more like um, in a way that would please him, that takes time. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. But he's saying, look, when at conversion, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. 
He's taken up residence. Now in these verses again, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is described in in different ways. Perhaps you noticed it as it was being read. Twice he's called just the Spirit. The Spirit, which shows he is this distinct person of the Godhead. Father, Son, Spirit. But three times he's described as the Spirit of God. That is, Spirit of God the Father. Uh, And once he is the Spirit of God. Christ. So we see that the Holy Spirit, though distinct member of the Godhead, yet is the Spirit of God the Father. He is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit stands in the same relationship to both Father and Son. And I just want to show one more thing before we start seeing the significance of having the Spirit dwelling in us. Have a look at the the beginning of verse 10. But if Christ is in you, But if Christ is in you, Paul again here is showing that to have the Spirit in you is the same as having Christ in you. Because how does Christ dwell in a Christian? Well, he does so by his Spirit. We shouldn't try and distinguish between the Spirit of Christ being in us and Christ himself being in us. And Jesus himself said words to this effect. Back in John 14, he said, talking to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, as Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. You know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. So the Spirit, he's come. Jesus asking that God would send the Spirit, the helper, to be with them, to be in them. And then Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So having the Spirit is the same thing as it was having Christ in us. That is how Jesus dwells with his people. So five times in just three verses, Paul says the difference between those who aren't Christians and those who are Christians was the Christians have the Spirit dwelling in them. And each of these is accompanied with a statement of its significance. Okay, since you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, this is true. So let's look at these four things together. First off, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you are not in the flesh. Have a look again at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, when we read that, you think, that's a little bit strange, isn't it? So if the Spirit is in you, you are in him. All the way around it, well, to be in the flesh or in the Spirit has the sense of being under the control of, under the control of the flesh or under the control of the Spirit. And Paul is saying, look, you are not under the control of the flesh anymore. You are under the control of the Spirit because he is in you. He is in you. And so Paul is saying, look, since you're not under the control of the flesh then, all those horrible things that we saw last week are not true of you. So last week we saw that those who are in the flesh, well, they are hostile to God. However that 
comes across, however well it might be masked, they are hostile to God. And they are rebellious, wanting nothing to do with him, not wanting him to have any say on how they live their lives. And therefore they are unable to please him. But Paul here is saying, look, now those things are not true of you. You are now in the Spirit. You're not under the control of the flesh now, you're under control of the Spirit. And so where you were once hostile, you now love. You love God. Where you once rebelled against him and wanted nothing to do with him, well, now you submit and you serve. Where you are unable to please God, now he delights in you and your stumbling efforts to try and please him. See, if the Spirit of God is in you, you are are not under the control of the flesh. You're under the control of the spirits. And perhaps again, you just you need reminding of that this morning, Christian. You know, at times it can feel we can feel so entangled with sin, and it sometimes feels like there's no escape. It feels like we're in control under the control of the flesh. Paul is saying, no, objectively, that is not true. If you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you are not under the control of the flesh, you are under control of the spirits. Now that doesn't mean we're going to live lives of sinless perfection. But it does mean, right here, right now, in this moment, I do not have to sin. I do not have to sin right here, right now, in this moment. Now I say, we're not going to live those sinless, perfected lives now. We're not under the control of the flesh, we're under the control of the spirits. Secondly, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. Have a look again down in the middle of verse 9 as we carry on. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Or to put it positively, if you do have the Spirit of Christ, you do belong to him. So Paul's putting it, as a, again, as a, a clarification. Look, if, you, if you don't have the Spirit, well, you don't belong to Jesus. But the flip side is true. If you have the Spirit dwelling in you, then you belong to Jesus. Having the Holy Spirit is like a, a, the sign of the fact that you do. It's the seal you know, maybe you played football or any kind of any sport and you have the team captains uh, and they walk around and give you a bib. Like, here's your orange bib, here's your orange bib. You're on my team, you're on my team. It's a sign that you're with me. In that sense, the Holy Spirit is like the sign that you do belong to Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, well, all of the blessings... All of his blessings are now our blessings. All of those gospel promises of life, of peace, of reconciliation, of joy, of hope, all of those things that come from being one of Christ's are now ours if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. If we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and we belong to him, well, that means that we are his. We are to use our lives to serve him, to honour him. 
We should seek to live for him and please him in how we use ourselves. If the Spirit dwells in you, well, then we belong to Jesus. The way Paul puts it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians is you have been bought by him, by his, um, by his death. Because Jesus died for you, he's bought you and you now belong to him and the Spirit applies that work to you. Thirdly, if the Spirit dwells in you, you have life. You have life. See verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So here, same thing again. If Christ is in you, by his Spirit, which he is, if Christ is in you, where you have life. But before we get to the life bit, uh, he, he says, uh, again, we've got to work out what he means here, but he says, um, your body is dead because of sin. Your body is dead because of sin. Now, our Christian sins have been completely forgiven. This was our starting point, wasn't it, a couple of weeks back. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A Christian's sin has been totally and completely dealt with as Jesus was condemned for those sins instead of me being condemned for those sins. And then we saw also in that, that week that the Christian has been set free from the power of sin and death by the spirits. So sin has been dealt with completely, we've been set free from sin, and yet it doesn't mean that, that sin and death are just no longer. They're no longer masters over a Christian, but it doesn't mean they're non-existent. Physical death is a reality of life, and even for Christians. As a consequence of sin, decaying bodies an eventual death is something that every single human needs to face. But Paul says that though your body is dead, it's decaying, it's going to die, we can be sure that the spirit is life. Now, the spirit could here be talking about our spirits, as opposed, so you see it's capitalized, which so they're suggesting that it's the Holy Spirit. It could be like our spirits, in which case Paul is saying something like that your bodies are dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of Christ and his righteousness. I think it is more likely that Paul probably is speaking of the Holy Spirit again, given that throughout this passage, again and again, the Holy Spirit is associated with life. Again and again, the Spirit brings life. You see that in verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life. You saw it in verse 6, to set your minds on things of the flesh is death, but to set your minds on things of the Spirit is life and peace. So I think it's more likely that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That said, I don't think ultimately it really changes the meaning. Because the fact that we have the Spirit of life now dwelling in us, produces life. So our bodies are decaying, they're going to die, but our, we have the spirit dwelling in us who is life, for he brings life. 
And he brings life because of righteousness. Because again of Jesus' perfect life, obeying God in every single way all the time, and by his obedient death, his righteousness is given to Christians. So again we see how Jesus' work and the Spirit's work are joined together. And so while our, our bodies are still subject to physical death, which is that result of sin, if you have the Spirit dwelling in you, the life-giving Spirit, he imparts life. And so the, the, now the relationship that we enjoy with God, the spiritual life that we have now, is all because of having the Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit, as it were, applies Jesus' work to the individual Christian. And then finally, if the Spirit dwells in you, you will have life. You have life now, you will have life. It's not just life now, it's future life too. Though our, our bodies might be dying now, our bodies will have life later. Have a look at verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so that's God the Father. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Father, dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Just think of the magnitude of that statement. And if you followed what he said, who, who is the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? Well, he is the Spirit through whom God raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead, that is who dwells now in you. What an incredible thought that is. And what he did for Christ, Paul says, he will do for you also. We have new minds, new life now. We will have new bodies later. The ultimate destiny of our bodies is not death, but, but resurrection. Resurrection life. And again, resurrection life, not resuscitation life. God isn't just going to breathe a bit of life into our old bones. No, this resurrection involves transformation. We're going to have our new glorious bodies that are going to be free from illness and frailty, pain, decay, and death. New bodies to match the new life, the spirit that we have already. We've thought about this a lot, I think, quite recently, haven't we? Over Easter, we've been reminded again of this truth a number of times. But perhaps we need reminding a number of times that a Christian's eternal future is physical, New bodies, new resurrection life in the same manner that Jesus had. Those, uh, and again, those who set their minds on things of the flesh, well, they live for the here and now because that's all there is. Whereas Christians are, are, are reminded that we are free to live for what is so much more because after these, our bodies now die, there is eternal life to come. 
So if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, which Paul is saying to you, he, he does. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, well, you're not in the flesh. You're not under the control of the flesh anymore. You're under the control of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you belong to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have life now, relationship with God. And if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you will have physical life for all eternity. If you are a Christian, why are you a Christian? Because of the Holy Spirit's work, applying what Jesus has done to you. Now again, we do need to ask that question though, in a, in a gathering, mixed gathering as we are, is the Holy Spirit in you? Again, this is not to try and unsettle uh, and cause doubts for genuine believers. In fact, if you're sat there and you're concerned about the fact and you're not sure whether the Spirit is in you, that is a very good sign that he probably is. Because those who have that concern, that is a sign of the Spirit's work. But actually, if you sat here this morning going, you know, I don't have the Spirit in me. Well, there is nothing you can in one sense do to get him. That is, this is the work of God. But cry out, call out to him. Come to the Lord Jesus and confess your sins to him. And say, Lord, would you take these things from me? And would you send your spirit to live in me? But if the spirit is in you, well, enjoy these wonderful things. These wonderful truths of the Spirit's work in you, the wonderful security that they bring. Let's pray. That would be true. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for your sovereign saving work. It is all your work. Thank you here for the reminder of the Holy Spirit and all that he does has done and continues to do in your people. Father, we look to you to continue to work in us. We praise you for the life that we enjoy now and please help us to long for and look towards the life that is to come and that we would be walking in the freedom that we have, no longer controlled by the flesh, but controlled by the Spirit. Please would we seek to love and serve and please the Lord Jesus in everything. In his name we pray. Amen.